Casual Citizen Season 2 Episode 5, Neurojacker. Welcome to Casual Citizen Season 2, Episode 5. I'm your host, Aliziana from alizianasworld.com. Casual Citizen is an ongoing series about the upcoming first-person MMO, Star Citizen, by Cloud Imperium Games. My show is a mixture of game commentary, lore discussions, tales of my adventures in the game's persistent universe, and fanfiction I write set within the Star Citizen IP. Please sit back, relax and enjoy. Begin transmission. The night bus is exiting stasis. Please secure all personal items. Departing the station in 3, 2, 1. The price of a seamless world. There's the dream of Star Citizen that was presented to us at the start. Chris Roberts' vision that impacts the scope and direction. The extravaganza of features that were added as a result of continued funding goals. And then, there's the backer's interpretation of what's been communicated filter through their subjective lens. There's no shortage of opinions on what the game should be and heaven only knows what it will be when it comes down to it. As an avid consumer of AAA MMOs from Sony's EverQuest, Amazon Studios' New World, and everything in between, there are several core aspects of Star Citizen, I wouldn't have thought twice about not having. One in particular, that I feel, at least from the outside looking in, has cost the project dearly in time and effort. The necessity of a seamless world. Truly seamless MMOs are rare. Single server versions, even more so. I can only think of a handful of truly seamless worlds, no loading screens. And if memory serves, all of them had multiple static servers you joined. Darkfall, Asheron's Call, Dark Age of Camelot, Star Wars Galaxies, Vanguard, and Ultima Online. EVE Online is a single-server MMO but it's not seamless. The combination of being a seamless world and a single-server is the unicorn blend. And likely for a very good reason. Note that there's not a single modern MMO in the bunch, seamless world and single-server. And yet, millions of us are happily playing MMOs. For me, World of Warcraft, Guild Wars 2, and the like, are a balanced mixture of open-world, instanced zones, and transition experiences to navigate from one location to the next. Unlike Star Trek Online, Wildstar, Pirates of the Burning Sea, and Lord of the Rings, I never felt boxed in or as if transitioning from one area to the next broke my immersion. When the game was actively being played, my server's community didn't feel hampered by the fact that it was a designated player list limited to a defined set of characters. Single server or not, if a game is dying, it's dying and it will feel like it is, it just takes a bit longer to get there. So while I can commend CIG for targeting the holy grail, the sheer amount of time and manpower producing the technical solution has to be significant. The amount of feature progression locked behind achieving it is substantial. And if it doesn't perform the way they hope or it's required to, the amount of time and resources spent to figure out something else will be no less consuming. Things like the actual moving elevators felt impressive when first demonstrated. The fact that they're still wonky this many years later is actually immersion-breaking in a way that a transition screen is not. Without exaggeration, every time I interact with an elevator it comes to mind. When I see odd animation artifacts that have crept into the game it's immersion-breaking. It makes me wonder was it really worth the effort? 
I don't see the value it brings to me as a character in the universe when I just want to get from point A to point B. I worry about the accumulation of the decisions around the seamless world rarity, compounded by the single-server unicorn and what that combination cost the project in time and effort versus the more common approach of other popular and well-loved MMOs. What could we have had in the game by now, if not for those choices? I'm thinking quite a bit more. One of the things that continues to concern me about Star Citizen as a project is that at times, it seems like it's too heavily focused on building an intelligent universe and not a game. Having an awesome universe sim will be interesting but if it doesn't yield a great game, I'm not really interested. We're starting to see glimpses of a game, but when I hear things are waiting for tech like Quanta, to have an economy versus the static staleness we have today, I think, sure, that sounds cool, but other games achieve an economy without that just fine. We don't have to have Quanta for there to be a dynamic feeling economy. That's an implementation choice that's been made. And yes, their game, their vision, I remain concerned about the accumulative impact of the holy grail choices, everything brand new, and existing will won't suffice, and what it's done to the development timeline. Dreams don't come cheap or easy. I just hope I'm still around to enjoy it, if and when, this one materializes. A Gamer's Musings General commentary about my current gaming experiences or thought bubbles. The lights have dimmed. A couple of weeks ago I wrote a gamer's musing about my return to playing Star Citizen. As desperate as I am at times for a diversion, Star Citizen's ability to be entertaining on a nightly basis didn't last for long. I'm already bored of the limited content options. I wonder how people who play daily are able to? I suppose the type of gameplay they came for is at least in the game at some level, combat, mining, bounty, and cargo. If those aren't your target activities, it's been years of filler that wears. I'm squarely in the latter. No matter how well I think they've done with mining, years of it as placeholder activity, the pleasure wears off faster and faster. I desperately want something to do from my target list of professions in this gorgeous world. I long to be excited to start any of my ships because its primary mechanics, on any level, have hit the live server. Revisiting New World after considering multiple options, I patched New World. I also used the free transfer to move my character to an East Coast server with a higher population. I decided not to join a guild to remove expectations of keeping pace with the gear grind. I find it completely odious in New World. I've also decided to limit crafting as a means to provide my own character with consumables, and that's it. I'm not farming materials to craft thousands of items no one wants to buy. I'll mix in farming because I do enjoy it but I wish crafted item prices reflected the effort. Since they don't, I'll refine the resources for the experience points and sell them on the auction house. The funds will be used to buy gear since the rarity I need for my adventures is dirt cheap. I'll also buy my third and final house, the game limits you to three. If that's enough motivation to play and find enjoyment, I consider it a win. It's been four days of New World and it is just enough, for now. Regardless of the overly reused content, I think it's the variety that allows the game to be entertaining. Like Star Citizen, the game world itself is gorgeous. Now, 
At least, I can ignore the egregiously repetitive and ridiculously narrow gear grind since I no longer have an interest in the end game. So many little things to do and all of it provides progression. The reality is that I can't wait for Star Citizen to hit a level of content saturation and variety. I want to be in my 400i that I adore but there simply isn't anything of value or fun to do yet, that's gameplay. The Sims 4 As another stand-in option for Star Citizen, I set up a new lot, family, and business in The Sims 4. Hold on, don't run away in fear, this does loop back to Star Citizen. In The Sims franchise, my favorite expansion of all time is open for business. It allows players to go with their sim to work or run a variety of businesses. After years of faking it using mods, it was a delight to finally see the features added to the base game. As characters, I have my daughters and me, running a veterinarian clinic. I created my son's character, who owns the local gym and gaming room hotspot. In real life, I occasionally send my kids instant messages with pictures of their sim up to something ridiculous and we all get a laugh. Alas, I can only play The Sims but so long before I'm back to pining for an MMO. Most single-player games feel dead to me. While I find watching single-player games entertaining on Twitch I don't enjoy playing them. The worlds feel dead to me outside of the communal watching experience. NPCs are in static locations doing the same exact thing all the time. I hate being the only person interacting in the world. The chief reason I continue to have fun playing The Sims when I'm MMO-less, is the NPCs are capable of doing everything that I can as a player. On top of which, they have the same interaction options available to me, as another player would. My Sims residential lots are designed with multiple dwellings on them so that they simulate a neighborhood. They're always alive with activity even if my character is absent or asleep. I think this is what Chris Roberts wants to achieve with AI in Star Citizen. A world that is alive even if you're in a zone alone. This is and will continue to be a daunting task. The Sims franchise has been doing free will AI for more than a decade. Even with a world limit of 80 characters, it's fraught with bugs, inconsistency, and sheer AI stupidity that we've learned to tolerate. Free will sims are unreliable for completing simple tasks routinely. They take the worst route possible reaching a destination. Sure, they're standing in the kitchen eating when there's a table within reach. Why not go wash this dish in a bathroom sink on the other side of the house when the kitchen sink is steps away? Makes perfect sense. And don't get me started on them carrying out professional tasks at the open for business venues. I just have them around for flavor, keep the location active. Other than that, they're pretty useless if not tied to a single station of some sort. Content creators are continuously providing mods and scripts to help overcome the more glaring problems these many years later. Given the breadth and scope, Star Citizen achieving seemingly independent AI is a Herculean task, as we can see from the current behavior. It will be amazing if the game reaches that goal but I'm not holding my breath on it. Nor am I convinced it's needed in a well-populated MMO. After all, they're going for the best space sim ever which should attract a good size player base. If it's not, and it doesn't, I'm not sure intelligent AI can save it. At that point, the project could have kept the smaller scope and we might have had a released game much sooner. Don't get me wrong, 
I believe their intent and I hope that what they've said the game will be is what we get, in my gaming lifetime, but only time will tell. For the time being, I'll be a much happier camper if ship-to-ship -ship refueling, salvage, and air transport arrive in 2022. At Tier 0, that would introduce three of the 11 professions I've backed with ships. From none to three would be huge. I'm still not counting medical because there's no medic role for the ships thus far. Just a med bay where the injured party interacts with the console. Absolutely nothing for the medical ship owner to do. If that's the plan for medical, I'm out. My Apollo will be returned for credits and the second endeavor configured for one of the other roles. Not mad at it, just no interest based on what we have so far. Introduction to Neurojacker Neurojacker is the fourth story in Pod City, The Fallen Season. It's also the second to last story planned. By now, readers know John, Maggie, Giles, and Larry from Season 1. This season we met Anuja and Blasts from the past bring Galeforce winds in the finale story. In Neurojacker we begin to see my vision of cybernetic enhancements within the lore I'm building for Pod City. I hope you enjoy it. Neurojacker Giles lay on his side facing the wall, his lithe frame curved in on itself like a fetus. His body slept while his brain spelunked databases, newsfeeds, and cartography archives. His eyelids fluttered. Their rhythm, synchronized to the pulsing neurofibers encased in the flexible umbilical cord connecting the comb ring embedded at the base of his skull, to the information terminal set into the headboard of his cot. As he entered his first REM sleep cycle, his breathing became steady, and he snored lightly. In a few minutes, he'd be in a deep sleep. There was an inverse relationship between his level of consciousness and the neurojacking nanobot activity. As his wakefulness receded and he entered non-REM's sleep stages 3 and 4, the nanites became more active. Most jackers experienced sensations of euphoria as their conscious will gave way to the autonomic control of the neurojacking ecosystem. Giles was not among them. In the blackness, his comm ring glowed as nanobots transferred information from an intermediary, highly customized computer system, into the data storage device implanted in his head. Around him, Pod City whispered the white noise of a resting station. Generators buzzed and rumbled the platforms. Life support systems hummed, emitting slightly astringent recycled oxygen. The exterior walls of his cabin resounded the occasional ping of space debris drifting through the web of magnetic shielding that repelled larger objects. In the six months since John and Maggie had approached him with an offer to finance the cost of having his comm ring repaired, he'd been consuming copious amounts of intelligence. It was essential to Giles that Pod City benefited quickly from the expenditure. Efficient use of time and resources were paramount to surviving independently in deep space. Giles' cybernetic enhancements and high competence as a neurojacker made him invaluable. He was the station's center of intelligence, amplifying the capabilities of the small crew that staffed it. In addition to their all-inclusive fee structure, Pod City's reputation for operating a high-security establishment that also provided valuable intel to their residents was a strong calling card. Outside the United Empire of Earth's security net and Terra's laws of safe operations, you were at equal danger from thieves and mismanaged mining and salvage debris. The six-story bubbled habitat station now had a waiting list of specialists looking to acquire residential pods and office space.
Over dinner, the crew often discussed how they might raise funds to expand the station without degrading the quality of services they offered. Asleep with the use of a mild sedative, Gar's nightly batch of data collection cycles started. At the end of each, nanobots scurried along their path, transferring high-value information into Guile's short-term memory bank. The rest was stored in his long-term memory and outputted into an encrypted document he could access from his datapad using a retinal scan. Commodities Trace, the first procedure, commenced. He'd commissioned a hacking script that he later tweaked to probe the trade and development division databases. An image of a woman floated into his thoughts. It was hazy yet familiar, a distant memory. Instinctively, his mind requested a search for more intel. However, the scripts he'd written included tight control sequences that acted as digital bumpers to reel him back in, redirecting his request back to the main subroutine. Thwarted, he rolled onto his stomach and grunted. Scanning the commodities database resumed. This section of the application gathered data on all buy and sell orders, pricing, sellers, customers, and routes. It even pulled the details of requisitions hidden in private queues awaiting formal execution. When he entered Pod City's information office, at the start of his shift, where he serviced as logistics and procurement officer, he'd know the most profitable products and routes in a three-system radius from Terra. He'd also share commodities pricing with Trish, the station's mining administrator, to assist her in making decisions about what to prioritize at Pod City's mining claim. Two hours 22 minutes, and nine seconds later, the data collection cycle ended. A 30-minute rest routine started for Giles while the nanobots compartmentalized the intel across various backup devices and local databases that generated encrypted reports for the Pod City crew. The security assessment programs ran next. John, Pod City's chief security officer, had the jump on undesirables in the area due to the daily briefing he received from Giles. During execution, the tendrils of Giles' cryptogram hijacked intel from local security stations, comm arrays, and ship-to-ship -ship communication channels. Like a stealth herald, the compact bug-shaped data runner manufactured by Drake, the hacking code covertly plucked nuggets of information and parsed it for relevance. The collection and parsing feed ran along without incident. While performing the routine scan of law enforcement bulletins, an urgent alert was posted in Pyro. A barren, lifeless star system overrun with criminal activity, security bulletins in Pyro were nothing new. Once a tourist spot for its eerie cracked moon, it now served as a staging ground for warring pirate factions. What made this broadcast special was the subject of the chase. Giles' body jerked on his cot. His subconscious mind recognized the pixelated face on the wanted bulletin. He knew that pinched expression with the buzzard-like eyes. His subconscious grasped at the feed, but a subroutine diverted the impulse. His brain forced attention back to the bulletin by entering a nearby conditional loop command. A prioritized abort signal clipped the data stream to cancel his attempt to redirect the programming. Giles ground his teeth in his sleep but let the parent program regain control and proceed with its standard protocols. Another couple of hours passed as his black market hacking system infiltrated ineffective security modules to mine data. Entering the last code branch, data mining began using his zombie network, a compromised set of computers he'd automated to surf the dark web. Here, 
he searched for new entities, people, ships, businesses, and ran an algorithm that determined possible threats or opportunities. Halfway into the routine, a batch script detected an anagram linked to Guile's name. A validation flag was triggered, forcing the batch to re-evaluate the information to ensure it wasn't an error. The validation check was successful. An anagram of his full name existed, Giles Alexander Kiva, tied to a series of scrambled images. The system injected the source file with decryption software. As the first photo began to resolve, the lights on Giles' comm ring flared. A woman's face slowly materialized. She had dark ochre skin that shimmered as though dusted with gold. Platinum blonde hair cut into an extreme mohawk, with the tail end swept over her shoulder. Giles' reaction was so strong it almost triggered an emergency shutdown sequence. An emotion-driven part of his psyche grabbed hold and attempted to retrieve details on the photo, but a series of abort imperatives kept superseding the fetch command. On his back now, his head twisted to one side, his body thrashed as his mind tried to circumvent the interruption. Nanobots ran forward and backward, colliding along paths as Guile's subconscious warred with the Neurojacker protocols he'd written. A primal urgency accessed a backdoor directive to override the main protocol that was issuing abort commands. Red caution lights flashed on the computer terminal that was part of his neurojacking system. Audible alerts sounded. A preemptive reboot sequence started just as Giles was about to crush the system's final abort attempt. The strength of the neurofibers gradually receded, and the data transfer nanobots entered into their sleep mode. His body calmed into a more deeply sedated state as an uncontrollable side effect. He let go of the bone he was after and surrendered control back to the jacking application. The lights on the terminal went black as the system rebooted. The room succumbed to complete darkness as the glow from his comm ring faded. When the system came back online, it entered into a predetermined dream state, his intent, to keep his brain occupied even when asleep. He eased into the data stream that carried him into Tayak, home of the Ark, established as a neutral repository of all galactic knowledge. His scan went to his most recent bookmark and continued his probe of the Banu society. He rolled back onto his side, facing the wall. His chest rose and fell, heaving a relaxed sigh. When he woke, he wouldn't remember that he'd dreamed of Raya or had seen a bulletin about the lunatic holding her captive. His thoughts would be from his self-imposed dream state, the wonders articulated in the archives of the Ark. Wonders, he hoped to experience in person one day. After the prescribed 60-minute dream, he progressively rose from the depths of his dormant state to wakefulness. Finally, the softly articulated AI-controlled wake-up countdown neared its end. 5. 4. 3. 2. 1. Giles winced as the connection to his information terminal retracted from his comm ring, snaking back into the headboard. He rolled over onto his back, stretched, and yawned. Through closed eyelids, he could see the lights in his cabin get steadily brighter. Technospace music with a complex electronic beat floated through the sparsely furnished room. His dreams of Raya were much less frequent since he'd hired on at Pub City. He worked himself to the bone, satisfied to obsess over something other than himself, or her. Along with Maggie, John, and the rest of the crew, he was focused on helping others reconstruct their lives out in the black, 
anonymous and safe from the demons in their closets. It would have behooved Giles to track the frequency with which his subconscious tried to overwrite his system protocols and monitor the number of forced shutdowns. On the other hand, perhaps he didn't want to know, considering it part of his plan to stop thinking about it. Forget the past. Live in the present, as they say. It's a wise sentiment, right up until the moment when the past kicks your door down like the gale force winds of a hurricane. The end. That wraps up another episode of Casual Citizen and Night Bus. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have, please consider subscribing to my channel and giving the episode a thumbs up. For more of my Star Citizen coverage visit alisanasworld.com, where you'll also find Ali's Star Map Matrix, a mobile-friendly easier-to-read version of the official ARK Star Map. Please note that my site is being redesigned to improve performance so excuse the clutter if not all of the pages are operational when you visit. This is Alisana signing off until next time. Be kind and fly safe. The night bus is entering stasis. Please be sure to collect all personal items. Entering stasis in 3, 2, 1. End transmission.